Welcome to Refresh, a podcast designed to revive, recharge, and renew your faith and give you the tools to follow Jesus. Refresh comes to you from the Salvation Army in Gwinnett County, Georgia. We meet in person every Sunday at 1030 a.m. or online on Facebook and YouTube at Sal Army Gwinnett. We are excited that you have joined us this week and pray that God will bring his word to life. And now for our speaker. In 1890, that was before I was born. If you're, you know, if you're wondering, yeah, there is gray in there. I'm just saying, you know, my wife has pointed it out to me. Uh, and there's some coming around the side here. My kids have pointed that out to me. Uh, they were concerned that my hair was turning gray, but I'm not as concerned. As, you know, but, um, but in 1890, uh, there was a New Yorker by the name of Eugene Shefflin. Now that's a name, Eugene Shefflin. And this guy had an intense love for Shakespeare's plays. He loved them, studied them. It was his hobby. And Shakespeare would often, when he wrote his plays, he would use birds as a part of his poetic way of telling whatever story he was telling. He used a lot of birds. And so Eugene, being a massive Shakespeare fan, uh, wrote, I don't know, what do you call him now, but he's just a big into Shakespeare. He dreamed of a day when he would, could open up his window from his apartment, from his little room there in New York, and he can just see the birds on the trees that were described in Shakespeare's plays. Now, Eugene's particularly loved the play Henry VI. And so he imported himself from Europe and personally released 100 starlings into Central Park so that he could see his dream come true of watching Shakespeare's birds come to life in his plays there in Central Park. Now, his hope was that they would actually breed, which they did, at an alarming rate. Today, it's estimated that there are between 45 to 200 million starlings in the United States. With the scientific backing, that majority of the birds find their roots back to the original 100 set free in Central Park. Now, the problem is that these birds are not native to this area. They wreak havoc to the ecosystem. They gather in enormous flocks, destroying crops. They snatch food right out of your hands, and they are scavengers among the cities. It is estimated that these guys right here uh, consume over several millions dollars worth of crop each year just from these birds. They have also, throughout the years, have caused several fatal plane crashes because they, they, they're unafraid of them. And they will go and storm flocks. They spread diseases, and the list just goes on about these birds. And what was intended, what was intended to be a nice view out of someone's window became a costly negative impact to an entire community. And just like our friend Eugene in New York, who just wanted to see the birds fly and not realizing 
his actions impact the lives of those around us, we visit Jonah. And the similarities that these two guys had, a topic that we'll be diving into over the next four weeks of what our actions do to those around us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here today in this, in this time, even at this place, Lord, opening your scripture and your word. I ask God that, that your truth only be told today, that your, your message, your word, and now, Father, I just pray that if I say anything incorrect, that you correct me on the spot. Because um, I, want, I want your gospel truth to be presented today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Jonah is a very familiar story, I'm sure, to each and every single one of us. Uh, most of us heard us the story of Jonah since we were young kids. In fact, I've already told the story to my kid. Uh, several times. Even though, interesting enough, my son, you always grew up thinking that it was about the well. And my son thinks it's about the worm that eats the plant at the end. I thought that was very interesting. But when we listen to the story or hear the story, it usually goes something like this. Jonah was running away from God. He was swallowed by a big fish or a well, depending on the version of the story you went with there. He hangs out in the belly of a fish for a couple of days. He's got some stuff to think about and contemplate, so he comes to a conclusion. And then the fish delivers him beachfront side service straight to Nineveh. He goes right out. He preaches some words, you know, out of his mouth, some gospel's truth. Everyone accepted it. And all right. Happy ending. All right, good. That was a good, you know, that's pretty much what, pretty much how it went. And many of us probably took that story right at face value and haven't needed to revisit Jonah since then because in our minds, we have categorized Jonah as a kid's story. And what I'm going to just say, what if I told you right now, today in this moment, that Jonah is not a kid's story? That the story of Jonah is deep, even deeper than the water that the great fish swam in in chapter 2. Now, there are a few things I have to point out before we just jump in and start. A little context that we got to know about the book itself. First is this, that the book of Jonah is categorized as a minor prophet. That's the way it's categorized within the Bible. The books of the Bible are not in chronological order. So if you open the Old Testament and started reading, you're going to be confused because it's not in chronological order. But instead, the Bible is placed by theme when they put it together. And so within the Old Testament, there are two types of prophets. There are major and minor. And Jonah finds himself in the minor prophet section. Now, a prophet is defined as a person who is acting as the voice of God within a situation. This is a prophet. God selects a person, and he gives them the responsibility to deliver the word of God to a people. And now, prophets often get confused as fortune tellers. But their role is not to tell the future. Unless... God reveals it as a part of the message. So, we know that Jonah is a prophet, a messenger of God. And then the second thing we need to know 
is that the book of Jonah is the only book of all the prophets that is told in third person. Every other prophet's story is usually told in the first person. Usually the writer is bringing the reader directly into their view. They want you to see it from their direct perspective. But in this book, we all get to see and watch this from the bird eye view in the third person, like spectators of the sport of Jonah. That's interesting to me I, when I research that. Now, the story of Jonah is only four chapters. It's not very long. And so I think because it's so short, they get straight to business. And when we open the first chapter of Jonah, the very first verse wastes absolutely no time. And it begins with a directive from God to Jonah immediately. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, which commanded him as a prophet to go to Nineveh and preach against the city because of its wickedness and to repent. Now, Jonah, we get the fortune to see his response almost immediately. He didn't have to like, wait to the cliffhanger at the end. Right after God gives his command, Jonah responds to the mission by rejecting it, sending it back. Instead of going east to Nineveh, he decides to go west to Tarshish. And unlike the U.S. Marines who run into the battle when given orders, Jonah decided to flee, or to simply put, the messenger decided to keep the message to himself. But why run? Why go? Why not just, I mean, if you're a prophet, you're probably used to receiving these orders. Why not this one? What was it about this message that would make a prophet whose sole purpose, whose only responsibility is to be the literal deliverer of the word of God, flee from the one thing that prophets do? And all of my research, I came to the conclusion that this would be because God is asking Jonah to do something that has never happened in Scripture up to this point. The thing that God is asking Jonah to do has never been done. Jonah is the first Jewish prophet that God is sending into a pagan nation for the sole purpose, the only reason, sole purpose is redemption. He isn't going to free his people. He's not going to go stand before Pharaoh and say, do this or these plagues are going to come. He isn't battling against any of the pagan gods. He is simply asking Jonah to go so that they can be saved. That's it. But not just any Gentile nation. He is sending him to Assyria, the most dangerous nation in the world at the time. These guys were the Roman Empire before the Roman Empire. They were brutal and they were nasty. They were conquerors. They, they again, in my research, they were people that Jonah wanted to see in hell. 
that he did not want to go. He rejected the message, the mission. And this is the first instance that all of us have in Scripture, the first instance that we have written history that God is telling the Jews that he is also the God of the Gentiles, that God has a heart of compassion for the Gentile nations. And this is, we are experiencing it right now, that this, and get ready for it because I'm going to say this word, that this is an unprecedented command. And Jonah wanted nothing to do with it. In fact, Jonah responded to it by getting on a boat, going the opposite direction to a place that was considered the last city of the civilized world, a city 3,000 miles from Nineveh. Now, this is where it gets interesting. Because we're only still in the first chapter. That God has given his command. His messenger has rejected it. And so he flees. He runs. And so Jonah goes and pays his fare and he goes into a commercial boat. And he heads toward Tarshish. And while they were out at, in the sea, my Lord, I told him to correct me if I was wrong. I'm just saying. It was a sea. I'm just double Okay, it's a sea. But while they were out in the sea, while he was fleeing and running, God sent a violent wind. He sent a storm. And it was so bad that the sailors thought that the ship was going to go under. And so they, they did what sailors knew to do in these situations. When a storm comes up on your boat, they start immediately to throw over the cargo all overboard to get it as light as possible so that they can lighten the ship and hopefully save everyone on board. But while they were doing, while the storm was coming and while everything was taking place and they were doing their job, their bit to save everyone's life, where was God's messenger, God's prophet? Where was Jonah? He was actually underneath the boat and the scripture says that he was sleeping. He wasn't concerned. And then we see in scripture that it took the captain of the boat himself to actually go down into the boat, to leave his crew his sailors, to go down into the boat and to shake Jonah out of his slumber, out of his sleep. And he is shaking him, saying, plea with your God to save us, that maybe he will take notice if you pray to him. I mean, do you, do you see what is happening here in, the, in this moment on the boat? Is that God's servants is asleep while the crisis is taking place. And it took the captain to wake him and to ask and to beg Jonah to please reach out to your God, to reach out to your, that he, maybe he will save this entire boat if you reach out to him. And I want to say, how true is that even today? That God is calling for his people to rise up and to respond to the crisis. And instead of leading the way that sometimes we're, we're found hiding, found asleep, unconcerned. 
And I'm going to say, based off the scripture in Jonah, do you know what what happens when God's people are found sleeping, unconcerned? The world begins to shake us and say, wake up, wake up. We need you to plead to your God. Can you save us? Can you save us? That even the world knows that God has to step in. Wake up! Can you save us? That they know that God's people need to be awake, to be on guard, to lead the way, show the light, because people want light. And so without a leader, the captain of this particular boat did what he knew to do best. He cast lots. He gambled it. Something's happening here. I can't explain it. Go get the lots. And they cast lots to figure out who is causing this distress. And when they did, it fell on Jonah. And the next few verses are the crew asking Jonah, who is he? Where did you come from? What have you done? What nationality are you? What did you do? And they're going, they're kind of drilling him. And Jonah's response to the crew now, back and forth, because once they realize that this is the guy, Jonah's response is the first time in this entire story that we begin to see Jonah starting to accept what he has done. He is realizing that his disobedience is causing harm to those around him. That his actions are causing suffering for every person on the boat. And so Jonah then takes ownership of his problem. He didn't pass it off. He took ownership of his problem. And the crew asked, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And Jonah replies, pick me up and throw me into the sea. And then the storm will be calm. Because I know that this is my fault, that this storm has come upon you. I want you to notice that Jonah didn't say that the storm came upon me, that this is my fault that it came upon me. He said that it's my fault that it became upon you. Throw me overboard. Throw me overboard. You know, we often overlook the crew on the boat. We just think that they're sub-characters of, a greater, of the greater story of Jonah, that they are designed to get us from point A to point B. And if you see the crew that way, they're going to be missing out on a very important detail that is found in verses 13 through 16. Because after Jonah just took ownership, and he said, throw me overboard, get rid of me, just throw me out. The crew decided not to do it. They didn't. They actually kept Jonah on the boat. And they tried their best to power through the storm. 
It says, stay on the boat. We're in the middle of nowhere. We're going to throw you overboard. You will die if we do this. Stay on the We'll power through this. We'll get through this. And so Jonah stayed on the boat. And it wasn't until they realized that they just couldn't do it. They just couldn't power through this storm is when the crew and the captain leading the way cried out to God. The same God that they didn't believe in, the same God that they asked Jonah to cry out to on their behalf. And because the mouth of God's messenger was shut, they had to open their own and cry out, forgive us, Lord, for throwing this man overboard and for killing an innocent man. Lord, may his blood not be on our hand, but we will do as you command. And then they grabbed Jonah and they threw him overboard. And instantly, the sea became still. And then right there, right there is when verse 16 happens. In all of its power and glory, saying that at this, at the sea being still, that at this, the men greatly feared the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord. And they made vows to him. The crew, the sailors on the boats, were saved. They were saved. They have experienced the hand, the mighty hand of God. The very message that Jonah was trying to keep to himself was the message that was being shouted out from the heavens through a storm that came as the very same message that was on the lips of each and every one of the, of the sailors in their boat at that time. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us. Now, Jonah is a story of redemption and grace. Now, here in chapter 1, the storm was an act of God's grace. Now, follow me with that one. That the storm was an act of God's grace. That God will, at times, allow us, you and me, to go through some significant life storms. And even though these storms can be fearful, they can be scary, and they can be very uncertain, the result of these storms will never, I want you to hear, will never be death and destruction. God's storms do not bring death. That every storm that God puts us through, every, every tri- everything that God is placing through us will always, every time, 100% lead toward redemption. And oftentimes it's our own rebellion that causes the storm. But but unlike Jonah, unlike Jonah, you and I have someone who has also experienced a storm on a boat. 
that there came a time, again, that God's prophet found himself on a boat. And when a storm was brewing out there at the sea on this particular day, he too was found underneath sleeping. He was there. But unlike Jonah, when his crew came and woke him up, they were not met with unconcern or discontent, but they were met with care and compassion. And unlike Jonah, whose only solution was to actually throw him overboard, to be completely removed from the equation, that if you want to have peace, I have to now leave. That was Jonah's only solution to the crew. But unlike Jonah, this prophet was able to go from the sleeping chambers of the boat, walk up to the top, and look, and he could recognize and see the fear directly in the eyes of his crew. And by two words, he stood there and said, Be still. And then in that moment, the storm calmed. Everything was peaceful. And unlike Jonah, where his only solution for your peace was his absence, Jesus says that I am the Prince of Peace. I am the Prince of Peace. These storms, these storms here, they'll come and go. But I am the Prince of Peace. But you see, the same thing happened to the crew that day on that boat. The exact same thing. The scriptures line up almost identical. It says that after Jesus stopped the storm, when he said, be still, his crew, the disciples, looked at Jesus and they were filled with the fear of the Lord. Mm. Perhaps the first chapter of Jonah isn't only about Jonah running away in the wrong direction. But maybe, just maybe, the first chapter of Jonah is also about God loving people even when we don't. Because this little small character, the captain and the sailors of that boat, God cared to save their soul that day. And maybe we all need to be filled with the same thing that the sailors were filled with on that day. Now next week we're going to, to look at chapter 2 of the story of Jonah. And we're going to visit when he was thrown overboard and something about a big fish. Let's pray together. Father, we just pray in this time and just ask that your spirit move on your, on your people, Lord, that we could walk away from chapter one of Jonah and that we just ask and pray that we receive the same thing that, the, that these sailors, that the disciples received that day. Lord, have the fear of the Lord fall upon us. That God, that when we are facing life's storms, that when we are just 
when we can only look forward and see complete darkness and clouds and rain, thunder and lightning, that God, will we keep our focus on you, the Prince of Peace. But Father, I pray right now that if we, any of us, myself included, Lord, that if any of us are going through life storm in this moment, but yet we're not standing in faith, Lord, I first want to pray, forgive us, Lord. But God, that give us a mighty fear of the Lord. To know that you are the Alpha and the Omega. And that no matter what's ahead of us, you go before us. It's your redemption we seek for, Lord. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you for listening to Refresh. Be sure to hit subscribe and like us on Facebook and YouTube to never miss an episode. If you liked what you heard, be sure to share it with your friends and family. We pray that you will be refreshed and ready to take on your week. See you next time. God bless.